latest edition of Public Sector Works, which is devoted to best practices in public administration uh, in uh, both the public sector as well as <clears throat> academe. Uh, this installment is devoted specifically to the public sector, and it's very in, it's a very interesting one for me. Uh, as well as our special, special guest. But before we get to him, before we swell his head, our co-host is Benjamin Paley. Ben, turn your mic on so we can hear what the heck you're saying. Ben is a third-year law student at Northern Southeastern University. And Ben, would you please tell all of us once again, the editor of the Law Journal that you're on, because we keep forgetting, and I want, I want everybody to know. I, I am the executive editor of the Ilsa Journal of International and Comparative Law. As Archie Bunker said on All in the Family, don't he talk good, Edith? Uh, I, uh, in, in any event, um, and I, of course, am an adjunct professor now of uh, business communications and legal studies at Stephen F. Austin State University, and I'm going for my PhD in human resources management at North Central University online because I can't sit still. And of course, I am also a board member. But here now is our special guest, Paul Scher, Paul Scher, who worked with me for many years mm -hmm. as a senior medical conduct investigator at New York State Department of Health's Office of Professional mm -hmm. Medical Conduct. Right. Uh, and uh, then later, he went on to become a supervising medical conduct <clears throat> investigator, where he uh, displayed his unique managerial talents. Uh, nobody else knew what the heck he was doing except him, but we put up with him anyway. Hey, Paul, how are you today? I'm I'm doing fine, Tommy. Uh, let me add that uh, nobody else knew what I was doing, and I was good at faking it. <laughs> well, you hear you heard it here, friends. Paul is a professional skater. Uh, no, oh, yeah. no, no, no. The best one was Nava. Oh, Nava. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, he's referring to Fortune Nava, who was one of our other supervising medical conduct investigators. And I always used to tease Fortune uh, because Nava is the name of a Ferengi character on Deep Space Nine, <laughs> which was a uh, Star Trek TV show. And so uh, Nava, it was his last name. So Fortune will be shocked that we're actually mentioning him. Uh, on a podcast, that's his 15 minutes of fame. He was uh, he was an excellent, uh, well, I think he was an excellent fraud investigator. Uh, it, it, the fact that he's not here, he had his other moments. people don't think, no, I'm teasing. What was, his moments. Well, well, I'm sorry, what were you going to say, Paul? I said he had his moments. He had his moments, and uh, mm -hmm. we all did. We're going to talk today with Paul uh, about his uh, about his participation in the agency and what contributed to the uh, to best practices there, and I'm also going to chime in from yeah. from my standpoint. Uh, Paul is uh, Paul already is leaving his chair. Uh, but, I, but I'm listening. I'm, I, I just had to do something for a second. Well, that's that's good. This, this is what I'm, he I'm always not, I, I, I'm not leaving the room. Don't worry. This is what he always did. I'm about to ask you a question, Paul. So since you're the yeah. guest of honor, I'm back. Uh, I'm back. You know, I'm back. I'm okay, back. he's back. He's back. I'm back. I'm Paul, back. How did yes, you? Get, how did you hear about this? How did you hear about this wonderful agency? And how did you get into this all those years ago? Well, at the time. <clears throat> this was around 85, 86. I was working for the Department of Labor for New York. 
And <clears throat> we had a bunch of guys uh, in, in, who I work with who took the test for, for this job, for, uh, for a medical conduct investigator. And one of them was Ed Ronsky of blessed mm-hmm. memory. <laughs> Is he dead? <laughs> I, I think we can always alive. we can always hope. I don't. Know. <laughs> 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 Ladies and gentlemen, Ed Ronsky was one of no, the directors, uh, uh, loved by well, some, hated by others. Listen, I wish him a long, miserable life, but you know that's that's another. <laughs> but listen, anyway. So I heard about the test from other people. I decided to take it, and lo and behold, I got an eighty-five. And uh, they did my, I know I did, uh, I took two interviews with them. And Eileen Mills, do you remember Eileen? Yes, I do indeed. I do indeed. Eileen Mills was a former. Still there when you came in. So Eileen Mills. Nice lady. Nice lady. I, she said, you got an 85 that was borderline. We could have hired you as a medical conduct investigator, but we hired you as a senior medical conduct. Higher grade, the higher grade, which was a higher pay grade. And I said thank you, <laughs> and that's how I got there. That's how I got the uh, OPMC. I will. I, I might as well say that I had found out about <laughs> it uh, from a. I also worked with the Department of New York State Department of Labor at the time in the employment services area, which is we help people get jobs. Paul worked in the unemployment division, which right. is after they were thrown out. No, no, <laughs> but uh, I'm teasing, of course. But uh, I had found out about it from a friend. I had found out about the agency from a friend of mine who worked in my office. And I never knew it existed. And I made a phone oh, call to never. Albany at the time. I spoke never. with a guy by the name of Ken Spooner. And uh, Ken uh, was a former uh, principal. They called them principal medical conduct investigators, mm-hmm. if I recall, mm-hmm. in Albany. And Ken spent 45 minutes on the, with me on the phone, uh, telling me all about the agency, telling about the ins and outs and stuff like that. And it was very, very interesting. And nobody had really, and they really devoted a lot of time. And I was very interested. Well, so I took the test for both the lower position and the senior position. I was called to the loan to the lower position, and uh, one of the people there. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to remember her. She was a, she was a union gal, uh, and I love unions, but she was not one of my favorite union people because I found out years later she put on my application that I was a dreamer. Uh, needless to say, I did not get that job, but then I was called for the whole higher grade and they were looking Tom. for somebody who spoke Spanish. And Tom. so, uh, but anyway, yes, I can talk, Ben. This is my moment too. Anyway. Wait, anyway, she's so you were a dreamer just, and you spoke Spanish. Are you sure you're not from Mexico? I'm sorry. Me. That was a, no, that, that, was, that was a very bad joke. Ben is, Ben is <laughs> trying to give me a signal that this is Paul's moment. You I just you nah, I just I just want to put a disclaimer <laughs> that whatever Tom says is not necessarily the views of Aspa South Florida or the national chapter and that nothing he says should be construed as such. I accept I accept that. Uh it's it is it is, it is factual for that matter. As you can see Paul is uh, Ben is looking for a job once he gets out. <laughs> uh 
<laughs> but anyway, no, but no, but Ben had, but anyway, I, but I, anyway, I got the job because of my, because they were looking for somebody who spoke Spanish and, uh, and, and it was very, and, and, and there, but, and then I worked for them for 15 years. Paul, on the other hand, worked for them for how many years? 30, uh, 32 and a half. 32 and a half years. So he worked yeah. twice as long as he devoted the rest of his career. And, 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 and in so doing, Paul handled a lot of major, major cases yeah. for the agency. Uh, Paul, explain to the audience uh, what, who, who did we investigate and what we investigated them for. We investigate, well, to get down to basics, what OPMC, Office of Professional Medical Conduct, investigated <clears throat> were allegations against licensed medical doctors in New York State, uh, PAs, and also, I think, uh, what was it, licensed? Osteopaths. We did osteopaths. Yeah, did... DOs, but also DOs, but also on PAs and medical. special assistants. We special assistants, which we almost, I think never in 32 had. years, I never got a special assistant. We never had. No. We, yeah. we investigated them for allegations uh, of misconduct, um, the, 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 the allegation in order for this, uh, for the complaint to become an actual open investigation for us to accept it, it had to conform to New York State public health law. Correct. So you had to show in the allegation, which could be correct, could be found to be correct or not during the investigation, but there had to be a, a possible violation of the New York State public health law. Uh, this included negligence, incompetence. Uh, um, if if the doctor is alleged to have been uh, impaired for the practice, either due to illness, psychiatric uh, reasons, um, drugs, alcohol. <clears throat> or if the, the or if the practitioner um, was alleged to have sexually abused or in other ways abused uh, patients, I'm making this pretty basic, but there were all kinds of also fraud. Right, fraud was general uh, insurance fraud. Yeah, and uh, towards the end of my tenure there. We did a lot of big cases, as you can well imagine, involving uh, doctors who were basically overprescribing Oxycontin, prescribing mm -hmm. painkillers to drug addicts. You know, these guys, uh, a lot of these guys were glorified uh, drug pushers. So exactly. that, that pretty much covers it, I think. Right, Tommy? Uh, it does indeed. Now, Ben, you should note it's Education Law 6509 and Public Health right. Law 210. So, right. uh, so Ben, mark that down. You'll be Very tested good, before your before your bar exam. Uh, and I, 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 I accept your challenge, Tom. Absolutely, <laughs> Ben is and Ben is. You usually, can learn. Uh, uh, and, and Tommy knows when uh, when I give him a compliment, I mean it because it's so rare. <laughs> but, but Tommy, uh, I gotta say, you 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 know a hell of a lot about the nuts and bolts of this stuff. I didn't remember the 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 two thirty and then yeah sixty five oh nine and the sixty five oh nine yeah very good. Well, I I have to say that I came into it with a with a unique background. 
Um, but prior to medical conduct, I worked as a disability analyst for uh, the old New York State Department of Social Services, which later became the Department of Health. And so we did disability adjudications of social security disability cases. That was a very extensive training period. And we were trained in medicine. We were trained in etiology of body systems, how to do labs, how to read medical records, how to abstract medical records. So I came into that, to the medical conduct job. Now we work with doctors, uh, Ben. We work with doctors who work and they, and it was their job to read the medical records. And right. it was their job, especially on the medical cases, which were the negligence and competence of the equivalent of malpractice. And so it was their job to read those records, to work with us, and to determine whether there was patient harm or potential for patient harm mm -hmm. in one or more cases. The other investigators either came from police backgrounds or investigative backgrounds and Paul came from an investigative background right. having worked for the uh, UI unemployment insurance as an unemployment insurance right. investigator mm -hmm. uh, it was it was it was kind of a shock to them when I came on board because I could read the records and they didn't know what the hell to make of me <laughs> uh, but Paul was one of the ones who uh, grabbed in fact Paul was one of the first ones I met there uh, actually, Frank McKeon, if you remember him, was one. It was actually the first person yeah. I ever met. But then I, but then when I started. Paul was working right there, uh, and, uh, and and Paul and I became Paul and I became friends. And uh, he uh, he <clears throat> was called upon. I was later, but they recognized his talents right away, and they called upon him to do a lot of uh, do a lot of interesting work. The right. work that I, the, what I would like to highlight is, and I'll just refer to this doctor's name as Dr. T, because we don't <laughs> want to give the actual name in case the doctor is still alive, yeah, uh, Dr. <laughs> T. So, and this is not the 10,000 fingers of Dr. T like the movie. Um, no. so Paul, why don't you tell us about that case? And uh, well, this, this took place, the, the, the actual case, uh, was in the uh, took place around 1991, 92. 92 is when it came to fruition, actually. And uh, Dr. T, that's a good way of putting it, was uh, was an abortionist. And um, at that time, we actually used to investigate abortionists who were. Um, uh, not using best practices, let's put it that way. I'm being very generous, as a matter of fact, uh, in this guy, in this guy's case, and he he was he had an office in Queens. He had uh, previously his practice was located in New Jersey. It was found in New Jersey. Now, New Jersey law at the time, I don't know what it is now a doctor could perform an abortion in office in New Jersey up to 12 weeks. Uh, after that, had to be in the hospital. <clears throat> it was found, uh, they found that investigators that, that he had performed an abortion in New Jersey that was over 12 weeks. His license was suspended. So he went across the river to Manhattan. <laughs> And his wife, actually, what she used to do, they were really uh, 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 cute. His wife had a, I remember, 
It was a Nissan Pathfinder. Don't ask me how I remember the car, but she had a Nissan Pathfinder SUV. She used to ferry patients across the Hudson River from New Jersey, because that's where they, everybody knew him, from Jersey to New York to have their procedure. Then she'd drive them back. This was what they did. Really nice of them. Yeah. So anyway, I had a number of cases on him. One in particular was particularly egregious where a woman had an in-office procedure. This was in New York. She developed DIC. Maybe Tommy can... Disseminated uh, disseminated infection. Right. And and it causes a massive amount of bleeding, which could lead to death if not treated. Dr. T, and I'm not making this up because I don't think I have the imagination. It was found that from looking at uh, uh, records from uh, EMT, from call sheets, it shows when the call was made. She developed DIC around two or three in, in the afternoon the EMTs were called at a, somewhere between five and six. So there's two or three hours that are unaccounted for. In fact, he didn't even make the call. He didn't make the 911. It was his people. <clears throat> I asked him at an interview, what happened? What was this gap? Where did you go? He said, I went for coffee. I, like I said, I know it sounds impossible, insane, ridiculous. It's the truth. He admitted that he went out for coffee while this woman was bleeding out. He went for coffee. I said, anyway, but that's, and that is horribly egregious and, and would have ultimately led to his, uh, uh, his license being yanked. However, the fact that, Dr. T wasn't satisfied with waiting for for the wheels of justice. He decided he was going to try to bribe me. So he asked me, uh, how'd you like to have dinner some night? And I said, really? (laughs) And I'm saying, why would he want to have dinner with me? And I go back and I told my boss, uh, the late, great Lou Gasparini, Mm. who ran the office at that time, and uh he was a fine investigator a great a, fine a wonderful investigator, investigator and fine investigator and a friend passed of mine for many years a friend of mine yes. for many years passed away in october and he was a mentor to me he was yep yep and i said to lou i think this guy's going to try to bribe me and sure enough and lou said you know what take your dictaphone with you your little we had recording devices in uh, in those days if you wanted to surreptitiously surreptitiously record somebody, I took it with me. And sure enough, this guy gave me a package at my next visit. He said, this is for your girlfriend. No, this is for you. This is for you. And I said, what is it? He said, oh, it's just a little something. It was a Rolex watch, but it wasn't a real Rolex. It was a knockoff. I said, oh, my $1,500 watch, wasn't it? Nah, it wasn't even that. He couldn't even even give you a real one. He didn't give me a real one. But underneath the watch in the little package was $1,000 and $100 bills. 
So I bring this back to my boss, and we consulted with, uh, at the time, Chris Sternheimen, who ran our, she was our chief counsel. A very fine, uh, very fine counsel from the Stern family, Ben. From the, the ben Stern department. department. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. And, and uh, she consulted with the Manhattan DA, because now this is criminal. This guy is attempting to bribe a state investigator. Correct. The DA had me wired. And uh, I was scared to death at this point. <laughs> I never you can imagine. Wired. I never you can imagine because he had never had any kind of federal FBI training. Oh, sure, 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 sure. So I was scared to death, but I did it. And I go in and I'm wearing a wire. And I had to get him. According for them to make the case, I had to get him to admit the reason he was giving me a gift. He wanted the cases to go south. He wanted all his cases to be closed. And this way we wouldn't bother him and his license would not be revoked. And he can go on doing his abortions. So I come back to his office. I'm wearing a wire. This time he gave me 500 bucks. And some tchotchke that, that, that he had in there, you know, some crummy piece of costume jewelry. He says, give this to your girlfriend or your wife. So now I bring this back. I got the wire. I, I, I got him to air, ask me the question, which was like pulling teeth. But why are you giving me that? I like it. Well, no, but really, why are you? I must ask him three or four times. My, finally, I kind of had to put the words in his mouth and... <laughs> I said, do you want your cases to go someplace? He says, yeah, away. <laughs> so anyway, a, a few days later, the cops came and arrested him. It was on TV, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the, the, now, if you want to hear, hear, hear uh, how, <laughs> how weird this guy is, he's from Thailand. And um, this is... Apparently, how he was brought up, uh, that the the way to get out of trouble is to bribe people. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> this was a cultural thing for him. IRS agents, independent of us, IRS agents. Now, we had already made a deal with him. He'd go back to uh, 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 Thailand and, and, and surrender his license, and, and, and there wouldn't be any jail time. IRS agents came because he cheated on his taxes. Big surprise. And and he tried to bribe them. So this time he thought he was being smart. He typed it out on his typewriter instead of saying it because maybe they're wearing a wire. So he typed it out for them. I'm giving you, uh, what was it, $5,000, a set of golf clubs, and round-trip tickets to Bangkok. I was insulted because he only gave me fifteen hundred. He gave these guys five thousand, but they were you know, they raided. I'm they just raided. please stay an investigator. That's right. Well, as you can imagine, everything else went south, and he got he got busted. Now he had to serve time because he tried to bribe uh, uh, federal agents. So here's so, a question, Ben. That's Dr. Hamrung. I mean, Dr. T. Sorry. Dr. Here's T. a question for you, Ben. Sorry about that. Here's T. a question for you, Ben. Uh, Dr. T has just gone to you as a client. What's your defense, man? Well, I want to first of all disclose that I'm not an actual attorney right now. I have not 
this, yes, this is a hypothetical nothing I'm about situation. to say should be discerned as, as legal advice of any kind. This is a hypothetical situation. This is a hypothetical. Him as a law student. Go ahead. Not not to sound dumb or anything. I might I might try to go for a um an entrapment argument. Um that Paul, uh the types of questions you asked really tried to get him to yeah, yeah. admit. Uh but at the same time there I mean really no charges had been uh oh. pressed yet, so it's oh. those same rules wouldn't apply. And in fact, they weren't. We we didn't. Uh, the DA decided uh, not to press charges to just cut his this deal that he would uh, hand over his license and go back go back to uh, his Thailand. native country, his native country. But and then he then he did this business with the feds, and that you know, it's an interesting right. point, Ben, that you raise because the issue of entrapment has come up to uh, has come up. Uh, it, it did come up with us when we were investigators because we were always, um, you know, we were always cautioned that uh, if we went, if we were too overzealous in our in our in our technique, this would be. And of course, these doctors got the best lawyers in the in the in the business to defend them. And those and some of those lawyers were really characters of their own right. I must tell you. Uh, I mean, Fred Friedman um, for, for one. Remember him? Well, there's, there's that. Uh, but what was uh, what was the famous one uh, that I that I had in his William Kunstler? William Kunstler. William Kunstler. I no, yes. number of times. He you heard of William Kunstler, Ben? Uh, uh, Bill Kunstler. Uh, he 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 was a lawyer for several doctors that I that uh, I was investigating. Yeah, um, he was he was a sweet guy. He was. A, uh, you hear, well have you ever heard of Bill Kunstler, Ben? I have not heard of him, but I'll he, look he, into he, him now. He, yeah. he 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 died a long time ago, and uh, he was he was very well known in the seventies and eighties. Uh, yeah. And uh, his favorite expression would be "coming to the arms of love." He was quite a a, a showman. Uh, Bella Abzug was the, was the attorney for one of uh, my doctors. Bella, really, Bella Abzug. Bella Abzug. And this I, I didn't know. And I don't know if you heard of Bella Abzug. Ben Bella Abzug was a congressman, and she was pretty. This I didn't know. Uh, and one of uh, and and one of the doctors I dealt with that I wasn't too fond of called her Bella the Hat because she wore these uh, she yeah. wore these weird hats. <laughs> she wore these weird hats. Yeah, uh, he goes. So you're talking with the hat, you know, and I and I had a conversation with her once. She'd say, "Mr. Holtz, I know what you're doing," and I'd say, "Bella, what am I doing?" You know, that was that was really that was really that was really fun. We we touched um, we touched greatness, I think, in a particular way because uh, mm-hmm. when we were uh, the the agency then was headed uh, by. The, the 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 head honcho was Dr. William Axelrod, who was the former state commissioner. Of now you're the- going back. Now you're going back. And Dr. Axelrod was a very very aggressive individual when it came to bad medicine. He, he was it was something to see. He was booed at in medical conventions. Doctor, doctors hated him. They they ran out of New York State to escape him because yeah. they were licensed in other states. Yeah. So they would run that way because yeah. he was because he wouldn't take nonsense. <clears throat> and, and I think that touches upon one of the major, you know, and, and I have a couple of stories that I'm going to tell before this mm-hmm. podcast ends. But but I think that 
Paul, maybe you would agree with me. Yeah. That one of the major things that we were out to do there, which 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 is simple, which is best practice, mm. is protecting the public health. That was our primary. Our primary mission was to protect the public. Also, we wanted we and and we were charged with protecting doctors who were not, you know, found to be guilty. We we were charged with uh, protecting their reputations because it was very easy just uh, to have some an allegation floating around. Um, so we this is why we maintain such strict confidentiality correct you know yeah and confidentiality would extend and, and, and very briefly you know so these investigations took months uh if yes, they were done, yeah yes. yes if they were done right if they were done right, right. because you had to get the medical records you had to develop a pattern of practice you had to interview interviewing the doctor who was called the subject physician came last. Mm -hmm. But what you first had to do is you'd have to go to the hospitals uh, that they were affiliated with. You'd have to interview the chiefs of staff. Mm -hmm. Uh, The complaints came from various sources, Uh, hospitals who uh, summarily suspended their physicians were mandated by law to report it to us. So we, so, so we did that. Um, We were, uh, and, and, and what Paul says is absolutely right. If you don't do it right, a doctor's reputation could be ruined. And Just doctors, from the allegation itself. Doctors right. work, and this is why a lot of these were not in the public eye, unless mm-hmm. the physician's license were summarily suspended. And that mm-hmm. meant, uh, right. Paul, describe a summary suspension. What does that mean? for? Well, summary suspensions were few and far between. Um, the onus was placed on us legally once uh, a doctor was placed on summary suspension. I think was it within sixty days. Ninety days. Was it best? Was it well, the hearing. It was. The, the, I had to bring it to it hearing. Was, it, the it was suspended for thirty days, and within the thirty days, it had to be brought to a hearing for the purpose of revocation. Days. So we were under the gun. Um, prime, mostly it, it was if a doctor was considered to be an imminent danger. And these are the words that were, were used in the actual uh, law, imminent danger to the public. Then, absolutely. Yeah. Abs- absolutely. Yeah. Paul had his share. Back in the day, we were charged, and it was an immensely uh, powerful feeling, because the investigators were charged to serve the doctor with the that was way back here. We yes, used to... and 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 the and I'll never forget the speech, which was doctors of this moment, you may no longer practice medicine in the state of New York for a period mm-hmm. of uh, was of thirty days or ninety days. Now I don't. I th- maybe now maybe it was ninety days. I'm not sure, but I think it was ninety days. And, uh, and and I wanted to add, may God have mercy on your unrepentant soul, but they wouldn't let me do that. Um, but oh, I, I think there's, if I could just state something here, I, th- I think there is something a little bit interesting about uh, just the lengths that you went to to preserve the reputation of the physicians right. who were otherwise good physicians, but might have had yes, yes, yes. a run-in or two with someone or maybe they had a patient who was just overzealous and wanted to file complaints against them. I, I, I think that that's 
we very could, noble. I, I mean, I, I know you're already gone from that position, but it's it's a very noble thing to do to consider uh, not only the work you're doing for the community, but also the work for the profession. And we at least mm-hmm. hope that in public administration, we do that as well. We're not only helping the public, but we're also uh, working to help each other out as, as professionals to to help each other when we come into rough situations. Thank you for saying that. Thank you for saying that, Ben. I I will tell you that there were were many, uh, you know, we talk about the sexy cases, Paul and I. Right. Ones that, you know, and and I have a couple, but there were many, many, what we call administrative closures. There were many cases that mostly were not, did not come to a a lot because they were in fact brought by, uh, patients who were who misunderstood their physician, and I'll give you an example of one of them, which I thought was very very interesting. Um, it was one who had uh, a, a mild scoliosis, a mild curvature of the spine, and she alleged that she went to an <coughs> orthopedist to check her out to check the orthopedist out, and that he sexually uh and that he touched her breasts in an inappropriate manner so that he sexually abused and this was not a consensual thing and he also called her honey okay so well i i I interviewed her and this was her story and then i interviewed him and uh in the presence of one of our doctors dr steinhardt may rest in peace one of the noblest noblest guys you would ever want to meet he's like a grandfather to me and um and so it was something about the way now when you're investigating, when you're doing a one-on-one interview and Paul, Paul will speak to this as well. You're looking for body language. You're looking for cues. You ask, you ask questions, you repeat questions, but you do it at certain times. You know, you use various basic techniques and you also have to have a feel. You have to have an investigative initiative. I call it. There was something that this doctor said that made me believe that she had misunderstood what he did. So I said, you know, doctor, I want you to do this. And I stood up and I said, and in front of the other, uh, our medical coordinator, I said, doctor, I want you right now to examine me the way you examined her. What would you do? So he said, okay, turn around. And then he started to palpate the back and he, you know, and he went up and down and I said, doctor, describe to me what you're doing as you're doing it. And he does, you know, and I'm looking to see if there's a particular curvature and his hands initially we're going up and down the uh, lumbar region, the lumbar sacral region of the spine, up and down. And then, because it was a lateral, a lateral scoliosis, means to the side, his hands started to move across the torso. And when it hit the breast, the, my chest, I said, doctor, stop right there. And that's what had happened. He was, he in the course of the normal examination, his hands accidentally brushed her breasts. She thought that that was uh, a... Thanks she took liberties. Th- exactly. She thought that he took liberties. But what happened with the honey thing? I said, doctor, why did you call this patient honey? He said, oh my God. He said... My wife is always telling me not to do, not to call my, <laughs> my female patients, honey. Yeah. Well, now, that, and, and that was closed. That case was closed. This is a great example, Ben, of what you're talking about. If another kind of an investigator who was basically out for glory would have tried to make a case against this doctor, could have cost him, not, I don't know about his career, but it could have cost him uh, professionally in terms of a licensure. Uh, exactly and it's it's important to and it behooves the investigator to 
really understand what happened. And, and usually that comes with interviewing everyone involved. And I think it's interesting that you would interview the accused physician last. It's yes. almost as though you want to see if you anyone else can say anything. You to, yeah, you want to yeah. get all the facts. That's right. That so that you can prepare Negative the best list of questions possible. Right. But I'll I'll stop talking now so you guys can. No, 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 no. Feel no, free. Feel free. This Please. is a, this is a three-way. And no, and we all learn. Um, and I must say that New York is now not all states do these investigations the way New York does them. Tommy, Tommy, describe to your listeners the process by which we bring cases before an investigations committee, because it's an interesting. Uh... Sure. So after the after the uh, after all the principals and <laughs> the, you know the any any other witnesses, we look. We first of all look to see if there are any prior complaints on the physician, and so because we're looking at the whole standard of practice, and that's combined into the other cases as a history, if anything. And so those interviews done by the other investigators, we may talk to the investigator who handled that case to see what was going on. Uh, we would inter- we would interview current uh, we can we would interview current people if it were in the hospital. Um, then uh, the personnel CV file of the physician who, who any attending status or house physician status and hospitals are looked at to see if there are any issues there. And if so, that's gone into also. So all of this is done prior to the interview of the physician. The physician is then interviewed with by. Uh, it was Paul uh, or myself uh, and uh, our medical coordinator. And uh, the physician, of course, was free to bring uh, representation. And more, and more often than not, they did. Uh, we not only that, but uh, at a certain point, we changed our interview in- invitation letter to say we urge you to be uh, have re- legal representation we didn't want them yeah we we didn't want them to say something we want we wanted them to know that we were not out to trip them up uh right no, legally exactly and it was very very important to maintain the integrity of the process and 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 what was the process and that's how i'm going so what we did was we would prepare investigative committee packets Mm-hmm. Investigative committees met once a month uh, in New York City, and they also met once a month in Albany, Troy. Mm-hmm. And uh, those cases which we thought were egregious that needed to come to the attention of the medical board were presented. I presented many cases. Paul presented many cases. Mm-hmm. Um, we all got dressed up. We used to think of it as the dog and pony show. It was uh, <laughs> to some degree. <laughs> but, and, and the, there were three members of the committee, uh, one mm-hmm. doctor, one MD, one. No, two MDs. Oh, two MDs. MDs and, and a lay person. Or yeah. a physician assistant. Uh, so you could have if one it, MD, one physician assistant. medical person. people and one lay person. Correct. Correct. And we would have a PA in that and because there were, there were physician assistants right. uh, that were investigated. Right. And I'll tell you about one in a minute. But anyway, so they, we brought that. It was a very solemn. I loved it. It was a very solemn procedure. Uh, and um, they would either dismiss the case or vote the case to what we called an administrative warning. And right. That is essentially a slap on the wrist. It was a confidential thing. The doctor was called before the executive secretary of the board for professional medical conduct right. uh, and um, read the riot act. 
then, or the case would be voted to an administrative hearing. And there perhaps, Ben, is where your expertise came in. And so we had attorneys working with uh, with us, the Bureau of Professional Medical Training, right. and in later house. called the DLA, the Division of Legal right. Affairs. And uh, we did hearing prep with them. I used to insist on the transcripts. I used to love that. I was the only investigator who ever asked to read the transcripts. I was very I did too. I, I used oh, to you read. did too? Good for you. Good for you. Luke I was once me. turned down. Uh, I asked the lawyer, I said, can I see the transcript? She said, you, you don't need it. What do you need to see it? Nice. That's nonsense. Let me, now, however, you, you, if you were to be called as a witness, then you couldn't see the transcript. Mm. Under that circumstance. That's well, yeah, because it would taint your, right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But other than that, if, you, if they didn't plan to call you as a witness, no, it was no big deal once the case went to hearing. I, I just want to add one thing, uh, if I may, Please. about administrative warnings. Of course, recently, in the last couple of years, this is after you left, Tommy, they changed the laws. Now, an administrative warning under certain circumstances could be made public. Not always, but sometimes it, it, it it's public that a well, doctor received the administrative warning. Maybe, right. maybe right. I, I could see where that I could see where that would fall. But it, if a doctor is filling out an application for hospital to to get attending privileges, some hospitals, not all of them, will ask, "Have you ever been investigated?" Have you ever received an administrative warning? They'll ask you specifically. So, and then under those circumstances, the doctor has to tell the truth. So. Yeah, and, and 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 I could see now. Also, there was the concept of the surrender, the temporary surrender, right. under uh, impaired physicians, and I thought those were right. fascinating cases. Uh, and uh, I think it's a great thing that they have then. Yeah, they were, and we were charged uh, when there was enough evidence mm-hmm. that they were on drugs. One case I had, the doctor was found, she, uh, with a, she, was, she had passed out in the hospital bathroom. Right. She had shot up with heroin. Right. And uh, you can just imagine, yeah. you don't want a doctor like that treating you. Um, doctors who were al- alcoholics. One of our medical experts, and we did, by the way, have hired guns, Ben. You've probably heard of them. Right. Uh, medical experts uh, who testified at the administrative hearings on our side. And it was kind of tragic because one of our medical experts, Dr. C, I will refer to him as that because he may still be alive, mm-hmm. was found to be an impaired physician himself, an alcoholic. I remember the guy and he was wonderful. And he was great. He was wonderful. great. I, I, I knew him, you know, and he, he was a Southern man and a very Southern gentleman. Let's put it that way, mm-hmm. and 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 they, very yeah, yeah. He was uh, he he'd be he'd be tripping over the OR wires uh, as they uh, you mm-hmm. know as doing. He was a cardiac the, surgeon. He was the over thing the I think about uh, the temporary surrender, and uh, we used to years ago we had mo- uh, monitoring agreements. Uh, that's yes. not done so much anymore. But a temporary surrender, temporary surrender does not go on the doctor's record. But they have to sign an an agreement, a probation probation agreement, uh, and and you know if the doctor uh, um, commits misconduct during that probation, probation, uh, 
Well, then, then it's a hearing, and the whole thing is going to go to hearing. But otherwise, if a doctor has, let's say, uh, an alcohol problem or a drug problem or whatever, a psychiatric problem, if they get through the probation period successfully, it's as if you can go back. You can never go have. Back. And, right. and it's very, very... As far, as far as New York State is concerned, it's a clean bill of health. Right. Absolutely. And then it's up to, and then it's up to him. Um, so it's good. It's a second chance. I'm going to talk about, you know, the, the I'm going to talk about a case where it, uh, that I had, and it's really interesting the way an investigation can turn from one thing into another mm-hmm. and you never, never know, but, but it's because you got to be a good investigator and you got to catch it. And mm-hmm. this was a physician. Uh, I don't even know if he's alive anymore. I'll call him Dr. S. Uh, who um, was uh, the allegations were euthanasia. Uh, he had a, uh-huh. he, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, he, had a, he had Very a sick, friend yeah. who was also a physician who was diagnosed with incurable brain tumor, uh, glioblastoma. And that physician had said, I've been on a diet all my life. Now I'm going to go out and have ham and eggs. He had a few weeks to live. An arrangement had been apparently privately made with the family. And uh, while the doctor was in the hospital, this particular, while the doctor patient was in the hospital, this doc went in and gave him, a, gave him some morphine to send him off. And the hospital loved him. So what was their punishment? They suspended him for two weeks with pay. They told him to take a vacation. <laughs> but they, report, they had to report it to us. So they said, okay, now... Does this happen? Does this happen in medicine more often than not? Mars is not to reason why. You better believe it does. Uh, and it always has. I was, I, yes, yes. Now we don't want the AMA on us for this. But, uh, but so I am gonna. So I'm gonna say that we have no evidence to substantiate that particular. Yeah, I have no hard evidence, but uh, I have. Ver- uh, I have. Uh, let's put it this way: verbal, I've I've verbal admissions. You know, uh, uh, but not. You know. I not share your, and not, you know. I share your verbal admissions, but we're not here to point that out. So, no, no. so, so he was in that. I'm all for it. <laughs> this was a very tricky situation for the medical board because mm-hmm. the medical board really, really didn't want to touch something like this. No. In fact, our medical coordinator, Dr. K, let's put it, let's, let's put it that way. She said that she, or she also had an arrangement that if mm. something were to happen, that her husband, who was a physician, would also. So they really wanted to dismiss this case. I said, you know, mm-hmm. this guy, you know, you, you can't, you can't just look, the, you know, the other, you know. Well, okay, fine. So now, what we have to do as part of a case like this is get a drug printout from the Bureau of Controlled Substances uh, right. Right there, right. which will see if there's any issues. Uh, with inappropriate prescribing, right? That's right. what we're talking about here. That's that's the case that we're talking about. Uh, so I did look at their prescribing patterns. Exactly, I did the printout on him, and of course, we're looking for morphine, and of course, there's there's no morphine. But what there is, but what there was, was that he was giving uh, barbiturates and amphetamines to a 99 year old patient or to a 95 year old patient. Uh, Lotusate and Budasol, they're no longer a lot of, only the old timers remember those medications. Uh, they're no longer being prescribed. Uh, so we called the doctor in. We, what we do in that case is we ask for a number of medical records. Uh, and there were other medical records where it was nothing really serious. 
but we had names. So I asked for those medical records in addition to this particular patient. Those medical records came in, but the medical record for this particular patient wasn't available. He couldn't find it. <laughs> so that, uh, I, okay. But before we call them in, well, let's go to the pharmacy. Uh, now, one of the things we did regularly is we went to the pharmacy in cases mm -hmm. like these, and we collected the prescriptions, which were used as evidence at hearings. Um, we collected, so I got the prescriptions for this patient. Uh, now, the patient lived in Queens, and the pharmacy was in Manhattan. Mm. Not too far from the doctor's office. So I said to the pharmacy, uh, I said to the pharmacist, so have you ever seen this lady? She said, no, never. She, I go, well, who picked the prescriptions up? The doctor's wife. So the doctor's wife picked the prescriptions up. Well, the, the office is right near there. And she said, you know, well, she was going to give it to the, they, they did the lady a favor and gave it to her when she came to the office. Well, I could sell you the Brooklyn Bridge if you're going to believe a story like that. But when you're an investigator, you, you, don't, you don't go one way or the other. You let the chips fall where they may. You have a completely blank slate. You have a tabula rasa. So then I took a look. And, of course, there's the address of the patient in Queens. I went to that address to interview the patient. She went, there was no, nothing, no, no phone listing. So I went to, to the building to interview the patient and the, and the super says, she's, she hasn't lived here in three, four years. I go, well, what happened? Well, she was, uh, she's been a nurse in a nursing home in nursing New Jersey. Home. So now from, from a simple euthanasia case, which they were going to look the other, which they were going to close, we mm -hmm. now have inappropriate prescribing to a woman. And there are all kinds of, there are all kinds of stories coming out. Mm -hmm. Well, do you have the address of uh, the nursing home in Jersey? Well, you're going to have to contact the landlady. And he gave me the name of the landlady. Landlady was not available during the day. I had to send her letters. She didn't answer him. I had to call her at night. Uh, talking with Lou, and, and, you know, and Lou, Paul mentioned Lou. And, and Lou right away knew we had something. And uh, he had a fight, actually, with the doctor who uh, said uh, that she didn't, that she didn't want to prosecute because you know, she didn't want to assist in the prosecution. And she was tainted. Her opinion was tainted, quite frankly. She was quite annoyed that we were even, that we were even delving into this. Uh, but, but here was something that had to be followed up. I called the landlady finally got back to me, gave me the name of the daughter in Jersey. I called the daughter. There's where everything fell into place. The daughter, as it turned out, okay, well, the lady was in fact the doctor's aunt. The doctor's aunt had died four or five years prior in an, at the ripe old age of 99 in a nursing home in Jersey. And I have prescriptions, the last which were filled three months ago. So what was the story? The story was that these prescriptions were actually for the doctor's wife who needed, who was on a diet and they didn't want the neighbors to know that the doctor's wife was on a diet. So he repetitiously wrote the prescriptions out for her in the name of the dead aunt. And she, which is why she went to the pharmacist to, to, to get them. And the wife took them herself. So the reason there was no medical record is because he never treated the aunt. Uh, and so there's another thing. So the bottom line one, well, now with all this information, we call him into the interview and I got the death certificate. 
can't get the death certificate, so I called the funeral home. Now we call the doctor into the interview. We get a wonderful story that he last saw her a few months ago, that she still lives at that address that she hasn't been at for years, that she's uh, on meals on wheels, and he gives a wonderful, elaborate story, and that's, and, the, and his, his attorney Sounds was like there. A film. What? Sounds like a Hitchcock film. Uh, yeah, 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 it was wonderful. Tony is there nodding his head sagely because they coached the position and blah, blah, blah. Mm. And all that was true. And I said, okay, great. Doctor, can you explain this? And I produced the death certificate. <laughs> well, the, the doctor went beat red. The doctor went beat red. The attorney is like, and they had to admit that the doctor lied to an investigator. Mm-hmm. This was then brought to the investigative committee. And, I, and the, the new medical coordinator, by the way, was very sympathetic towards this doctor also, because it turned out that this, that he okay. knew that, that he walked on the beach with this doctor's professors. So we always had to deal with the bias of certain medical coordinators because any, they didn't always want to see. Anytime a doctor was doing something that had to do with his family, they shied away from it, uh, you know. Exactly. Uh, but this wasn't his family. This was a friend of his. But, but a friend, yes. A family, a friend, of what, you know. But, but so here's something, but it was, it was, it was, everything was there. The case went to hearing on that basis. And for the first time, uh, a physician was charged with fraudulent practice of medicine for lying to an investigator. The first time that it ever happened. And he was probably the last. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was suspended. Probably. State suspension, fine. It was enough. It, it was enough, but he sure but but he sure learned his lesson. One thing Paul is not saying about Dr. T is that as a result of his efforts uh to in you know in being wired up and taking a bribe. Mm. They wanted to give, uh, he was put up for something called the Commissioner's Recognition Award. Which I got it for that. Yeah. I received it. And Paul received it. But for some reason, and I'm not going to say why, they, they wanted to give it to everybody. No, no. Oh, and then, then you I tell been, the story. That was, just story. Me. that was just me. That was just me. But there were other cases where they did the other thing, where they spread it around. But for Dr. T... That was just you. Thank you for clarifying. I made my bones on that, then. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Now, I got an interesting case. Uh, I'll tell you, but then I, I, I got to get off because I got to have dinner. I'm, I'm, going into, I'm going into diabetic shock. <laughs> I don't think Ben will mind. I think he's tired of hearing both of us. Right, well, anyway, ben? this story. No, no, not at all. Not this at is all. A I, I can go all night more, guys. And I'm going to call this guy Dr. S. Of course, he's probably still practicing no as a matter of fact i can't talk about it no i just realized i can't talk about it let me let Uh, me unfortunately we we lost the hearing uh like it's it's a horrible case i wish i could talk about it but we we lost the hearing so you can't it's not i'd like to invite you back one of these years sure uh but anytime we can and and we can go into some more war stories but i just have one more more quick war story to go to go Mm -hmm. a lot of them were tragic but very but very comical Uh, some of them were very comical i know which one you're going to talk about dr r dr r yeah he's dead well he's dead uh but dr but dr r was a psychiatrist 
And unfortunately, <laughs> he had this terrible habit of um, of incontinence uh, while he was in <laughs> when he was sessions. under stress. Yeah, while he was in therapy sessions with his patients. But he was a real, but he was a real character. He was a real character, uh, and and he was. Uh, he, he was he, he he had he was impaired uh, psychiatrically himself, yeah. uh, but he had a hell of a butt. He also addicted. Now where we got where I got him, he was addicting his wife to Demerol. Yes, uh, yes. his wife had phantom stomach pains, hmm. and 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 his wife and he used to and he used to say, "I divorced my wife. I caught her in bed with a lawyer. I'm gonna go <laughs> buy a dog." <laughs> He'd always say to me, my name is Dr. Jules R. Dr. R. you. And the attorney that handled the case for our agency, he called him Mr. District Attorney. This guy was a character. He was one character. He used to say to me. We had, we had a number of characters. He used to say to me, you look to like it to other people's corners. Where do you see mine? <laughs> well, when we called him in for an interview, he was unapologetic. The man, oh no, he was unapologetic to the end. His in laws loved me. His in laws wanted to get rid of him. His in laws, his in laws, was, they, they were hoping I'd write a book about it. Um, he came to the interview and he had an episode of urinary incontinence uh-huh. during the interview. Because of the stress, probably. Uh, because of the stress, they walked into me. The investigators went into the office. One of them said to me, this guy's sick, this guy's sick. You know, they were laughing. But, you know, it was really a, tra- it was really a tragic thing. Yeah. But but it was, but he, he made a tragic figure of himself. And it, and um, what the medical, our esteemed medical coordinator commented. One of the famous, and Dr. Steinhardt again, and may rest in peace, and that was famous, and he said, Tom, I don't know whether we should take him to the hospital or the cleaners. (laughs) (laughs) And that, that I have to say, was one of the most, and then at the hearing, he had another episode, that was it, his license was revoked. And um, and and then he moved to Florida. They provided him with a lifetime uh, supply of the pens. Apparently, apparently, uh, if not, if, I, I'd if, like to just make one one thing clear: the the agency that Tom and I worked for in the beginning, in the eighties, and into the nineties, yes, we were real field investigators. We were out on the field two, three days out of five. Some guys. Uh, one in particular, and Tom will know who I'm talking about, uh, was out just about every day, uh, <laughs> not necessarily doing field work, but but we yes, were. I know. We, you know who I'm talking about. Yeah. But anyway, but the point is, we would go to the hospitals. We would get the doctor's quality assurance files. We would pick up records at the doctor's office. And a lot of times when doctors which send us records, as you can imagine, they might alter them or leave out a page where that made them look really bad or white it out or whatever. We'd go there, we'd get the original, and we'd make a copy either at their office or we'd come back to our office and made a co- make a copy. But we we used to do this stuff where we used to serve the summary suspensions. Well, that all by, went by the wayside 
by the late 90s, early 2000s, as we became more and more computerized, everything was by mail, everything was uh, by phone, except when the doctor would come into the office uh, for an interview. But other than that, just about everything was done uh, on the phone, except that uh, the, the, the big exception, we had nurses uh, working for us, uh, I'd say about halfway through, right? Sometime in the yep. 90s, yep. at nurse investigators, in, in addition to uh, uh, the regular line investigators. And the nurse investigators, they were empowered to go to an office and we, we could go with them and assist them, but they would be the ones to do inspect- office inspections if an office was considered to have unsanitary conditions or conditions that could uh, be detrimental to people's health. Exactly. You know, if a doctor was maybe reusing needles, you know, uh, we had all that stuff. But otherwise, everything was done um, by phone, by mail, what have you. It's no longer a field, unfortunately. It's very important. And I think it suffered for that. Yes, I in a field investigator job. Well, Dr. Axelrod, whom I had mentioned, passed away <clears throat> quite suddenly. Uh, he had a bearing aneurysm, which was a... He was, uh, a, a, he was a, only 56. A, aneurysm, that's right, only 56, with a young kid uh, who was 13 <clears throat> at the time. And, uh, he worked himself to death. I, 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 that's my opinion. He did. I he was, he was a, he's an example of what you should never do if you're too compulsive. He used to have, uh, and, and they showed, they showed us pictures of his desk in Albany and he had papers practically stacked up to the ceiling. And I'll never forget uh, Mr. Ronsky, who Paul mentioned before, who became the director of the office. Uh, he, he critiqued my desk. And I said, well, I'm emulating Dr. Axelrod. <laughs> and I showed him the picture and, and, he, and, and Ed gave me a classic line and he said, listen, when you become commissioner, you can have a desk like that too. And a uh, neat desk <laughs> is a sign of a, a sick mind. <laughs> <laughs> but unfortunately, Dr. Axelrod passed away, had this uh, aneurysm and never came out of it. Worst headache he ever had in his life while he was at a meeting in Washington. He passed out, went into a coma, and he was dead a few months later. And then the the people that took over wanted a kinder, gentler office. And and I right. think that and while that was good for some and the of, laws changed. The laws also the changed. Laws also changed. But yeah. Because right, our hands with a lot of things. The, right. Remember that the physicians partially paid for the running of the office through their malpractice payments. No longer. No longer. (laughs) That's interesting too, but they used to, but they used to pay for it out of their malpractice payments. And so that they felt that, well, if we're, if we're paying uh, out of malpractice, then we ought to, then we ought to get something for the best bang for our buck. Uh, And by the way, we also went after physicians with very bad malpractice records. That was another type of a specialized type of case. And uh, next time we have you on here, I'll talk about, I investigated a doctor and I knew him in college as a, as a, as a, as a fellow tutor. And he was already getting his hands in the mix. He was the worst plastic surgeon. Apparently that he was a terrible plastic surgeon. He got out of that. Um, but anyway, um, I think we ought to end this by saying, Paul, yeah. as a supervisor, and you didn't, you didn't really speak to what, what you did as a supervisor. Right. 
what about, about if, if you could think of one or two things that you did as a supervisor in terms of in terms of bringing uh, the senior investigators along? How did you how did you run? Basically, basically, what I tried to uh, inculcate in them, uh, in all seriousness, is that they had to respect the law. You cannot go out half cocked and go into a doctor's office and 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 demand records just like that. Uh, unfortunately, years and years ago, we had some instances. We had some bad apples who actually did do stuff like that, yes. and that uh, rebounded on us. But my my thing was protect yourself, protect the doctor, but above all, protect the public. If somebody had a question, I was always available, always available, uh, you know, if they wanted to know if this met uh, uh, the, um, the public health law or, or was this outside of it. We consulted, uh, I would also consult a lot as a, as a supervisor on behalf of the investigators with our attorneys, right. they get opinions on whether something should be pursued as far as whether the allegation rose to the level of misconduct. So, you know, stuff like that, really uh, trying to get people to think like an investigator. Paul, you made a difference as far as I'm concerned, uh, the way you were. So did you. Well, that's very kind. I appreciate that. But uh, but this is your moment. And uh, the the main thing that I think we want to take away from this is that protecting the protecting the public health. And as Ben said, uh, protecting the doctors who, in fact, were innocent, they right. were innocent before proven guilty. Some of the investigators with police mm-hmm. backgrounds had a mindset that you're guilty before you're proven innocent. And that was wrong. I just want to add one thing. Our. Uh, the, the 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 standard of proof that we went uh, by was mm-hmm. preponderance of evidence. Right. Preponderance of evidence to the doctor's guilt, as opposed to criminal law, which where the uh, where the beyond bar is set doubt. much higher. Beyond a reasonable doubt. And that's, beyond that's a reasonable doubt. Ben, do you have any other questions you want to ask Paul? Where are you, Ben? I hope Ben didn't run away from us. I'm sorry hey. about that. I was I was busy shuffling something else at the same time. No, no, I, I don't have any more questions. This this was lovely. I really appreciated the the opportunity to speak with Paul. Um Tom has been raving about you uh for months <laughs> when he told me that you were gonna be on. He said, Ben, we're gonna have Paul on. Paul and I are gonna be sharing war stories. It's gonna be great. I've been looking forward to this particular podcast for months and and i am just so glad that i was able to witness uh two such profound men discuss their war stories from being investigators we got a lot we got a lot there's a lot more where that came from that's for sure a lot to share i want to have paul back on thank you ben thank you I want to have Paul back on one of these years if he's oh, sure. because I would like to. Uh, Any time, Tommy. Absolutely. Um, and I want to thank our listeners uh, for putting up with uh, all this. But we hope we've been able to give you an idea of uh, what these investigators, to me, they were the boys of summer. 
Uh, I romanticize it a lot. Uh, Paul's got the more realistic tinge uh, to this, uh, to this, to the side of this story. But I, but I look upon them as the investigative boys of summer in the eighties and in the nineties. <laughs> yeah. We really did our bit uh, to to go after the bad docs as well as protect the good ones. And we did a lot of good work and we did a lot of hard work. And mm-hmm. for anybody that might be interested, you know, the disciplinary actions that we did are on uh, the hearings. The results of the hearings are on the Office of Professional Medical Conduct. It's website. all public knowledge. Yeah. So public knowledge, the OPMC website. Uh, I guess it's, I'm not sure of the exact, it's probably www. Uh, look up New York State Department of Health Office of Professional Medical Conduct and you'll be linked yeah OPMC and you'll be be linked to it and you'll see and you'll you'll see some of these um, some of these final determinations which go into the history you're not going to see the whole case but you're going to see but you're going to get a glimpse of stuff that 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 has been done and you'll even perhaps see my name and Paul's on it uh, <laughs> on some of these cases. So that being said, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to us. And so now this is Tom Holtz signing off on behalf of the um, American Society of Public Administration, South Florida chapter podcast. And uh, stay safe, all of you, and have a great day. <laughs>